The scripture today is from the book of Genesis and the Acts of the Apostles. You can find it printed on page 8 of your worship folder. A reading from Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And now a reading from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one of them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
Can I have the palm fronds? Could you just start fanning me? Thank you. Thank you. Someone run to Safeway and get some palm fronds, please. Uh, it is an honor, truly, to be here with you. I recognize a lot of faces. I also don't recognize a lot of faces, which is maybe even more exciting to me. Uh, I also want to point out that in honor and celebration of Pentecost Sunday, I did wear my red shoes. Um, so feel free to touch them afterwards if you need to, if that would make you feel more comfortable. As per today, though, uh, if we had the time, uh, I, would, I would pull out a trick from my teacher days. I used to be a high school English and leadership teacher, and I would mingle that. I would smush it around with my, the theological nerd within me, and I would say, let's all gather in one big circle now, which is virtually impossible, so we're not going to do. But I would love to take the time and listen as each one of you, if we were to go around and every single one of us was to say, this is what I just heard when I, when I, when I listened to that passage, when I heard the Tower of Babel read, when I heard the passage from Acts read. This is what I heard. This is what stuck out to me. For some of us, maybe for those of us who grew up in the church, we would say, you know, I didn't like the Tower of Babel passage when I heard it as a 12-year-old child, and I don't like it now. I don't like to think about the wrath and the punishment of God. Why are we reading it now? For others of us, maybe wherever we are on our spiritual journey, this whole thing of being in a church and sitting next to someone who's like half a foot from our right and singing songs out loud, not in the comfort of our car or inside our house, and sharing this space, we go, I don't, I don't even know what to, what to, what to say. I, but I heard the word come. I heard that invitation over and over again. I also heard the Lord used. And even when I hear the Lord, that kind of sounds scary to me. I, I can get my eyes and my ears and my heart around God, but the Lord, that, that's too much right now. And whatever it is, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I wish again that we could do that, but for our purposes today, let's just imagine that we are actually able to envelop and enter into the mystery of a thousand different stories, hearing a thousand different stories about a single text. For ours in this room is a collection, an example of a thousand different hearts, a thousand different minds, a thousand different histories represented under a single roof. Ours is a beautiful collection of diversity and difference, a celebration of that. For ours is a God who delights not in uniformity, but in diversity. Not in homogeneity, but in the differences that make us us. And it is the same beauty of dissimilarity that causes us to tell a thousand different stories in the first place. So think about that in particular. I need to keep my eyes opened as I stand at the front of the stage so I don't fall off. But the little Baptist preacher within me might fall off. So front row, that's your, that's your job. Just run up and catch me if I fall. Uh, and the, yeah, the, the clogs are not going to help that falling. That was not in the notes. But think about that for a second. Think about that, especially as it relates to this Tower of Babel passage. My book, which is in the back, which you can purchase for $18. Thanks, Jason, for selling them today. 
But in the book, I write about different stories, and really these different stories, which are very intentional, the stories that are told, serve as an invitation. But a couple of years ago, as some of you know, my family and I, we lived on the San Francisco Peninsula, then we moved over to Oakland, we moved a lot. And then uh, the week after the election, I always put that in uh, quotation marks, or in my mind at least, I capitalize the and election, because y'all know what went down in November 2016. But the week after the election, we moved up to Seattle for 20 months. And soon thereafter, this was after we left uh, City Church here, uh, it was time to fill out that preschool application. And for some of you um, who have, uh, if you've been a parent and you've filled out an application like that, it's a little ridiculous. Mother's name, father's name, partner's name, spouse's name. Uh, you then need siblings' name, child's like, child's dislikes, doctor information, phone number. The list goes on. It's like 3,900 pages of information about a four-year-old human being. It's a little over the top. The question seemed unending, and for me, I remember how my pen glided over the first page. I knew what to do. But when I got to the second page, I stopped. For there, the words circle one only were listed, along with an instruction to pick out a single origin for my mixed-race son. And I don't know where you are, on your journey of racial identity. That's part of what today is, is an invitation into this. No matter the color of our skin, that we would begin to grapple with our own identity, our own journeys as well. But for me, I've been on a journey toward justice, toward privilege, toward understanding race, certainly in our country. And even though I was, I was raised in a church, I was also raised to believe that issues of race didn't have anything to do with me because I was white. I don't know what your story around that is. But I was believed, I, I, or excuse me, I was raised to believe that Christianity was a religion of the heart a religion more impressed with doing and saying and being a good Christian than with an anointed God who is sent to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To, uh, I'm losing my place because I don't know how to move this stand. Can I go like this? <laughs> Here we go. Thank you. I think this is when we say we need readers because we're getting old. There we go. Thank you. My contacts aren't doing, doing justice. Thank you, Fred but to set at liberty those who have been oppressed, who are oppressed, present tense. Certainly part of this justice, this journey toward justice, has also involved learning what it means to parent mixed race children and how to honor the reality that race really is a part of my interracial marriage. Even though I didn't recognize it as such and even though I dismissed it, as differences in personality, as being introverted and extroverted, as whatever else fill-in-the-blank excuse I wanted to use. But it also means rewriting the stories of God and of, of the Bible and of history as a whole that would beg me and maybe you to believe that conversations of justice and race and privilege do not belong in the walls of the church. 
let alone within the walls of society or within our own hearts. For me, because this journey has been about listening, there was something holy that happened that moment in filling out the preschool application. I remember shaking my head. I remember my pen wavering between black and white, between two equal parts of the whole. I remember how my mind raced back to the ITBS tests. Anyone take those ITBS tests? Nope, just me. <laughs> that I took in the third grade and in the seventh grade in Kaiser, Oregon, 97303. I remember how when I took the PSATs and the SATs and filled out the box that had to do with the color of my skin, that there was only one option that I never thought anything about it. If I'm honest with you, I'll also tell you that mine is a privilege and has always been a privilege of not noticing. Not having to notice how only one bubble applied to me. Never mind not having to ask the question, as theologian Lisa Sharon Harper, whom I believe is a friend of City Church, writes in a very good gospel why the U.S. government asks for the nations of origin for Asian and Latino people, tribal affiliation for American Indian people, and include African American, a specific ethnic group within the category black, but does not ask white people to identify their ethnicity or nation of origin. Because thinking about issues of justice, race, and privilege both as it related to me, but also as it related to the church was a non-issue. It didn't apply to me because I was white. And it certainly, at least in my mind, did not apply to the church because we weren't that kind of church. We weren't those kind of Christians, those kind of seekers those kind of people who are on a spiritual journey. But I think this is who you are. I think about how City Church has wrestled with questions of human sexuality and inclusion, and that is a justice issue. That is a justice conversation. And we are here and everyone is welcome. And so what does it mean to continue to expand this conversation and to say, yes, this is all a justice issue? And so how do we begin to wrestle and grapple with that which we have been privileged enough not to have to think about sometimes? But to say, yes, there are systems in place, maybe even within the walls of this place, that are benefiting some, but not all. What does it mean for you as a community to enter into these different intersections of justice? When it came to my own spiritual journey and to the God I staked claim to, the truth is that Jesus rather looked 
and believed like me. We'll get to the Tower of Babel in just a second. But to me, especially growing up, Jesus' skin was kind of just like mine. I remember walking through the walls of, or through the halls of my church and looking up at the pictures of Jesus that lined the walls. Jesus was white, just like me. He was kind of like a modern-day David Hasselhoff, <laughs> sometimes with more golden skin tone, oftentimes maybe a little tanner than I am. But always, he was a little more European-American than he was a dark-skinned man from the Mediterranean. In the early 1940s, American artist Warner Salmon painted a picture, the head of Christ, which became the depicted image of Jesus worldwide. By the end of the 20th century, over six billion, not million, billion reproductions of that same picture had been reproduced. This became the image of Christ worldwide. How has that affected who we see Jesus as? As well as who we see and believe the people who follow him should look like. What does that mean for us? Jesus was not a dark-skinned Jewish man weathered by the elements of of uh, sun or sea, whom we would most likely identify as a Palestinian today, but an image created in and of whiteness, an image I translated into what God must have looked like and also, again, into what God's followers must have looked like. But again, getting back to that preschool application, that morning as I filled out the application, I realized that my son's experiences of race, of how he would identify himself and of how he would be identified were different from my own. And just as he, if he were standing right here, he would say, I'm not six and a half years old. I'm not six years old. I am six and a half years old. There is a clear distinction when you are that age that you are the half. But at his seven-year-old self, his almost seven-year-old self, would be extended an invitation to wrestle with his own racial identity. So are we, especially right here. In that moment of filling out the application, holy resistance found its way in, wriggling onto the paper of an archaic application. I felt the scope of my pen widen, creating an oblong circle around the words black and white. Anger rose within me, the steam of injustice creeping up from stomach to chest to throat. I prayed my minor act of rebellion would be a movement against ignorance, against racism, against entire systems that didn't see anything wrong with asking parents and uh, caregivers to circle one only. I write in my book, I thought about how God must have laid on a fluffy bed of clouds, twiddling elephant-sized thumbs and dreaming up the perfect combination of Canon and Theo, the names of my two sons. And you 
and me and every other human on the face of this earth. I thought about how his son, word made flesh, who taught his friends and enemies alike to love unconditionally, to cherish the particularities, and to circle in all of the boxes without apology, the advantage ours for the taking. I thought about all of that because the invitation in the Tower of Babel is not to receive it yet again as punishment, but the invitation is to see it as a celebration of diversity. To say, no, God was up to something here. God so cared about what was happening on earth that he went down and got involved. The creator cares about the details of our lives so much so that the particularities that make you, you, your family of origin, your ethnicity, your race, your culture, your sexual orientation, your gender, all these other things, they matter deeply to God for this is who you are. And this is who Christ loves. So in Genesis 11, in the Tower of Babel passage, Oftentimes, it's read and used as an example of punishment. The people wanted to do their own thing, so they decided to build a tower up to the heavens. But then God, in verse 5, came down and said, oh, no, you didn't, and he turned it around, and he was in charge, and so let God be in charge. (laughs) It's oftentimes otherwise used about the empire. Empires want uniformity but we must fight against that. And while I think there is validity in both of those interpretations, the one I wanna hone and focus in on is that this is a celebration of diversity and of our differences. Language, according to this ancient text, language divided that day. If you look at the passage in the Tower of Babel, One of the things that I think is so interesting is that it it starts, it being the people's desire to build a tower, starts with wanting to hunker down. And as I kept sitting with this passage, I thought, well, isn't that just true? I can't tell you how many times, and maybe it was just me, But when we lived in the city, just three blocks from SF State, when we lived here, how often we had the conversation about whether we would stay or go, about if we could stay or go. Just last week, I was at a wedding with a friend, and she and her husband live in San Francisco, but she said, it just got too hard. I would make friends with all these people in the city, and then they would leave. She said, so my grandkids are up in Sonoma, and that's where I've begun to build community. I said, friend, I'm I'm glad you're in Sonoma. But I'm sorry I get that. Because part of the reality of this place is that sometimes we feel like we're saying more goodbyes than we are hellos. Sometimes we wonder when we meet a new friend 
whether we should really show them who we are, because we don't know if they're going to be around long-term like they say they are. Some of us don't know if we're going to be able to afford the next month's rent. Others of us wonder how long we can keep our family of four in an 800-square-foot apartment because we have incredible rent control. We have conversations of privilege while we fight against gentrification, on the other hand. But we go, there's something about this place, and we just want to dig down roots. I remember years ago when Matt Nault over at the mission site preached a sermon, and he made a call to stay, to stay and to dig down roots in the city. And soon afterwards, I shot Matt an email, and I said, Matt, I am so mad at you right now. You don't understand the huge break-in we just had. You don't understand that every time I walk down the stairs, I'm scared somebody's going to be down there. You don't understand the fact that every time I walk up the, scare, the stairs, I'm scared that the room's going to be cleared again. I'm scared that somebody's going to have gone through my underwear drawer. I said, Matt, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I want to stay. can't. So I'm going to be mad at you right now. But that is where the Tower of Babel passage starts. The desire to hunker down and to stay is right there. But even that, this passage is not actually about whether we should stay. That's not what we're going to talk about today but it's a description of God's personal involvement in what happens on earth. For what happened at the Tower of Babel was indeed a scattering, but it was not a destroying. What happened at the Tower of Babel was an upset, and it was a confusion, it was a mystery, but it was not the end of the story. What happened at the Tower of Babel was maybe further proof that God was not done. It was an invitation. So I say that because if and when we begin to write, rewrite preconceived notions, even of this passage, then we also receive the invitation to rewrite the very things of God or our thoughts of God. That in God's power, there is benevolence. And in God's power... There is love. When God scattered, goodness came out of it in the beauty of these diverse languages. Earlier uh, in the book of Genesis, we read that just as God commanded his people to be fruitful and multiply, God commanded them to fill the earth and to govern it. The result of this great and holy migration, a heaping platter of difference. Brenda Salter McNeil writes, different stories, different words, different myths, songs, styles of communication, food and clothing, this God delights in. For again, if God delights not in uniformity but in diversity, then he or God delights in the same beauty of dissimilarity that causes us to circle multiple bubbles on an archaic preschool application in the first place. 
It also goes without saying that God divided the world into different language enclaves for good. Jim Wallace writes, God's love for diversity is clearly stated also in Paul's message to the philosophers. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and God allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would indeed search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each of us. For this master of sky and land and sea was also the creature maker, the one who created the whole human race, just so we could find him. And so in our blackness and in our whiteness and in every color in between, we could also be found by God. We could say, hey, look, we are the God created. This is who we are. So the particularities that make you, you, are celebrated. And maybe part of the invitation today is that we open our eyes and we say, yes, I want to see this. I want to begin noticing. I want to wrestle with this. I want to celebrate this. forgot, there's a clock up there, but it says 11.05, and I don't know what time we're done. Hopefully none of you think I'm actually professional. (laughs) I just get up here, and I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Slush, this is what Jesus wanted us to hear. But to you today, I extend the invitation. Rewriting. What does it mean to let the stories in here maybe be looked at through new eyes? What does it mean to let the stories, when we're in in 30 minutes or less, given an invitation to grapple and wrestle with our racial identities with privilege and justice, and we're given this much time to say, yes, I extend that invitation to you, for God delights in who you are and in this part of you. Maybe it's also an invitation to examine the stories in our lives that are hard for us to talk about, to let some of those stories be rewritten. I lost my job. I admitted my addiction. I let my marriage fall apart. I don't know what it might be. And I don't have a pithy Christian platitude to give you. Nor do I necessarily think that there is one that is always supposed to be inserted. But I do say, even in those stories, that God is present, for God cares about the details of our lives enough to come down and get involved in the Tower of Babel incidents that are happening in our own backyards. So what would it look like just to say, okay, God, I'm open to you rewriting this story.
But perhaps the last invitation is this. And it's an invitation to let ourselves be loved by God. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, maybe in letting this passage be rewritten, you say, God, maybe you're not a God of punishment as I've always pictured you. But maybe you really are a God with wide open arms who really does welcome me to the table. A dozen or so years ago, I spent Thanksgiving week uh, down in Mexico with high school students. And I say this because now this is all problematic to me, that we were bringing Jesus over the border to those who needed it most. No. Problems with that statement. But I remember being there, covered in dirt, also covered in hives because I realized I was allergic to cement and we were mixing cement because we decided we would be construction workers for the week. Also not a great idea. But at night, I would get up there and I would speak to this group of 80 or 90 high school kids. And I honestly don't remember a whole lot from that week, but I remember the song we sang at every single campfire. It was that David Crowder song. Oh, how he loves us, oh. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us, oh. And I remember every single time we sang it, I'd get to like the second verse and I would feel this gulp in my throat and I'd be like, curses. I just want to sing it. But the beauty of that song, the overwhelming nature of all of those voices, singing it and believing more than anything that there was nothing that could separate us from the love of God, of him who loved us so, it overwhelmed me. What does it mean for us to be overwhelmed in the best sort of way? by a God who does not throw down punishment, but by a God who extends a welcome invitation of love to every single one of us and says, I delight in you and in the differences that make you you, for you are a child of God. Amen. Amen.